Hi everyone, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Expert Answers from Inside Scientific. Inside Scientific is the online environment for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content that helps you do your best work. Today, we are joined by Dylan Sarver and Matthew Borkowski. Dylan is a PhD candidate and research associate at the University of Michigan. Matthew is the engineering sales and marketing manager at Aurora Scientific, a company known for their precision instrumentation in muscle physiology, material science, and neuroscience applications. They're here to speak with us about how to study the mechanical properties of tendon and connective tissue samples. Let's jump in. All right, so first question, Matt, so you brought this up at the beginning of your presentation, but can you maybe rehash some of the specific limitations, for example, the sample size or sample compliance when using this system for stress strain assays? I'll give you guys a, a bit of a background. As I mentioned, the lever system is an active control system. It's what we would call, I guess, driven by a PID loop. So if you couple a load to it, which does not have some compliance, it basically sees the sample, a stiff sample, as a dead load. And the loop, the control loop, is not tuned for this load. Without elasticity in the sample, your 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 control loop is, is not tuned or not closed uh, properly, and you can have oscillations basically on your signal. Samples must be compliant, as I mentioned. Things that are very stiff, like bone, thick pieces of cartilage, any non-living materials that people might do you know, engineering type of tensile testing on, you know, metal implants or, or, or something like that, they're not suitable for this system. Similarly, you wouldn't do sort of compressive testing on, on samples. So this is primarily intended for tensile testing. Now, just to touch on size of sample, obviously, the larger the cross-sectional area of a sample, as you stretch it, the more the more tension it will produce. We have an upper limit of, of, of 100 newtons. A sample such as a human tendon would be way too large. You would, you would certainly, certainly exceed the limit of the instruments, and you'd likely be considerably too stiff as well. So we're looking, we're looking primarily at small, typically smaller diameter samples from, from, from animal models. Now, Dylan might have a bit of experience taking larger samples and compartmentalizing them into smaller units and testing them that way. But really, I think if you're, if you're dealing with a large sample, that would be, that would be your, your, your only approach overcoming this, you know, this, this elasticity and, and, and upper limit of tension. Yeah, so just to add on to that, I would agree the larger the tendon can can definitely be tougher, but definitely not impossible. Too stiff can be an issue, but if you break these things down into smaller and smaller units, as I was showing the buildup of a tendon, a basic structure of a tendon, you can break down this this large this large unit into smaller fascicles. And if you do that appropriately, you should be able to summate them back together and get an understanding of of the whole. That's why normalizing the cross-sectional area in your data can be pretty effective. Well, that's great. Very complete answer, both you guys. Thank you. Um, all right, next question for you, Dylan. Is there any particular reason that in this particular or in this specific study that you omitted destructive testing? And can you comment on that? Yeah, so I, I think destructive testing is important. However, a bulk of the tendon uh, 
data out there, I would say, is destructive testing. So the thing that I really liked about this, what it added in a, in a new way from a new angle is these viscoelastic properties are very important to physiology. So it's, it's things that are happening every time we walk. Things, this is the sort of movement that happens when we exercise, etc. So for me, I felt it very physiologically relevant to test these in a, in a sort of physiological realm. So I wanted to see them stretch as something that hopefully would relate to normal function. And for that reason, I did this, this sort of viscoelastic investigation. Perfect. And actually, on the uh, tone of uh, destructive testing, Hani has asked if there's any issues with slippage in destructive testing, or have you seen any issues with, you know, quote unquote, slippage? I'm assuming uh, Dylan and Matt, you might know what Hani's referring to. Sure, slippage of the sample. I would imagine this is this is something you really you really have to um, prepare for when you're when you're when you're mounting your sample. I mean, Dylan, you probably have more hands-on experience than I do, but I mean, we see this across an array of tissues: tendon, muscle, you name it. And I mean, often people are double and triple suturing or folding, you know, an end of a, of a sample over and then re-nodding. I mean, you've almost got the, the, the tensile load in two parallel branches of the knot. Some people, you know, when the load gets really high, we have one system where people will actually take a physical clamp and clamp the sample screwed down into one end to limit the chance of, of slippage. Uh, you know, this is, this is one of these things also that it really depends on the nature of your sample. Everybody's sample is, is a little bit different. They're, they're, they're not quite alike. So there are these best practice things I've kind of mentioned that you can do, but ultimately there needs to be a bit of, of, of trial and error, I guess you could say, to find out, okay, you know, these are my samples. What do I need to do to make sure that, that this isn't going to slip? But it's, it's something that I'm sure is on everybody's mind. Yeah, I, I would just agree to relate to the, the hands-on part of it. This is why the mouse tendon, I, I've been able to successfully break mouse tendons just with, with sutures. It's, it, you know, talking about the difference between, and now this is mouse plantaris tendon too, so you're, you're basically finding the smallest tendon that you can, you know, and looking at these tendons, and I usually try to break them to make sure, even in my non-destructive testing, just to make sure that everything is taught and that my setup is effective. So I don't want any sort of slippage or anything. And that's why I will break them prior to uh, an actual go at a study. But, but the sutures can be quite effective. And as Matt alluded to, the, the grips for higher loads, as I'm seeing now with a lot of the, uh, the rat plantaris, tending that, plantaris testing that I'm doing in this setup, the grips have been hugely effective. Very good. Um, a question from Venus. Just there's interest in the specific size of suture thread that you use, Dylan, during the surgical procedure images that you shared. I usually use gauge four or six. It, it really depends, though. Too big, I don't think grips as nicely. However, too small will break. So I usually try and take I try and get as small as possible because I think it it bites the tendon. It really grips the tendon better than the larger and creates a much tighter knot. So slipping is is less likely. But I match that with 
you know, the, the amount of force I expect to produce, because that's going to change with, with the uh, suture or with the tendon that you're, the material that you're testing. So it really depends, but usually with, with my applications, anywhere from four to six is uh, pretty normal. Okay. Great. Great. I think, Matt, this would be a question for you. Michael Sario has asked is it, if it is possible to switch load control mid-test. And he's providing an example. Could they apply a certain strain and maintain the stress at that strain for the remainder of the test? So basically what you'd like to do is you'd like to begin, what it sounds like is you'd begin stretching the sample. So you're applying strain. And then once you reach a predefined stress, hold it there and 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 basically let you know let the strain do what it will at that point. The answer is yes. That's 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 quite simple. I mean, it, it, you can you can even with you know this isn't specifically done with the software I talked about, but we have another software package where you can sort of sample the load in real time, and when it. It, you know, even if you don't know kind of exactly what that load is going to be, you could say, okay, I've issued strain for a certain amount of time. And once I've issued this much strain, the load may be different, but I can still sample and hold it. So that's that's something that, that, that can be done with the instrument. Yes. Perfect. Another question, what is the minimum size or length of a tendon that could be used in this apparatus? Finosh has asked this and is working with a shoulder tendon sample from rats and imagines it would be two to three millimeters in length. Is, is that going to be suitable? In, in my experience, I think that would, be, that would be perfectly reasonable. I mean, I'm not sure what the exact structure um, or shape of the of the sh- of the you know the shoulder tendon what it looks like exactly compared to you know say Dylan's plantaris kind of real estate you have where perhaps you know you have a bit of calcification on either end to tie or suture off or grip to but two to three millimeters of, of I guess you know sample length we could we could call it to me seems sufficient you know I, I think Dylan your your Plantaris ones were on the order of five to six, I think. Yeah, so the plantaris, the plantaris was an ideal location because it was uh, long enough and very skinny, easy to dissect out. The the shoulder that that size seems reasonable. It seems like it could be uh, just a bit tricky, but you you always have at least some sort of bony insertion. So that that makes one side very easy because attaching the bony side is very rigid and, and easy to maintain throughout the whole testing. The other side becomes a little trickier. So with the with the, I'm not sure which shoulder muscle it is, but if it was um, you know a, a cuff muscle or or maybe the deltoid tendon that you're talking about or something, the the bonus of my plantaris testing was I had a long, like a, you know, a four to six millimeter tendon, but then also a little bit of an extension into the muscle. So I could scrape away this long muscle. I could scrape away that muscle and get some sort of tendinous flap that I could use as a loop to loop back on itself. With that sort of setup, if it sounds a little, you like you'll have one bony side and then the other side will be trickier. It may just be a matter of either finding the tendon that you can, getting it to go out as long as possible, and then maybe gripping at a certain point. Maybe that seems reasonable in that circumstance.
We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you will tune into future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work and share science. For the full webinar, please see the link in the description. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next time.